Welcome back to Dating Games, the Modern Relationships Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Temps, and our guest this week is a brilliant comedian, drag king, writer, and podcaster who co-founded the critically acclaimed Queer Women on Non-Binary Comedy Night, The Low Word. Plus, if you enjoyed season three of Sex Education on Netflix as much as I did, our guest was one of the writers. So firstly, thank you for that, Jodie Mitchell. Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to do this podcast. Yeah, I've been Uh, looking forward to it. One of the fun things about this job is I'm a big comedy nerd and it's an excuse to go listen to loads of comedy. So it's always fun when I'm doing an afternoon recording and then I'm like, ah, today you are my only guest. The day has got to be about listening to you on other people's podcasts. And so I'm even more of a Jodie nerd than I was yesterday. I feel honoured. Thank you for being a nerd about me. (laughs) And so uh, we'll we'll see. I, I don't have a segue for that. And so have you got a... I'm doing so badly today, whatever's going on with me. It's all good. I think my social skills have been... Obviously, they were eroded by the pandemic. But then I, I gigged a lot last week. And I realised that most comedians... I think, of, we've, I think we've lost our social skills mm-hmm. at a greater rate than the rest of the population i'm not entirely sure why i've spent a lot of time sitting in green rooms with people just being like are you gigging i'm like we're really funny people the whole (laughs) point is that we're really fine we're supposed to be really good at telling anecdotes relating to people and really knowing what people want to listen to but no it's become very existential so i have zero segue skill either at present Yeah. No, I think you're right. It's such a like extroversion to be out on stage and be interacting with so many people and trying to read an entire crowd that then I think it's such an extreme opposite to then be locked in your house and you start like performing to the pet. Oh, totally. Poor I mean, I mentioned this very briefly to you earlier, but poor Walter the Bunny Rabbit that I live (laughs) with. I mean, he's he's listened to a lot of like very surreal existential crisis lockdown material and I I feel bad for him because he's a bunny like his ears are massive there's no escaping (laughs) it it must be very immersive for him no poor Walter all right well this is your chance to tell another humanist story so have you got your dating (laughs) story lined up I do I do I mean I have like a plethora of weird dating stories that I could tell and I was sort of sorting through them in my mind I was like what's what's a pleasant thing to listen to rather than something too actively traumatic and also like I'm I'm queer and like I I also have definitely had a pattern of swinging from monogamous relationship to monogamous relationship and having like very intense periods of destructive dating for about three months in between long-term relationships so I was looking through them A lot of my dates, I don't think I've been like, oh, I'm going to go on a date. It was more like I fell into a date scenario and it played out. So I think the time I embarrassed myself the most, probably. So I I had a really big crush on this person and I knew that she was going to be at this really big party. It was my final year of uni, so I must have been like 22 yeah, she was going to be at this massive party and it was run at the art school and all of the coolest people were going to be there, like all of the really, really, mm-hmm. can't say this clearly enough, all the really cool people, okay, they were all <laughs> going to be at this party. And I think the theme of the party was extremely wankly Hieronymus Bosch, the like 
horrible, creepy caricature painter from, let's say, the past. I'm not sure when. It's going to take over this massive art school. It's going to be really cool. And I was like, well, I know she's going to be there, but I don't have a ticket. Tickets sold out ages ago. I'm not going to get in. And it was my friend's wedding earlier in the day. So we all drove out to the beach. And I was like, well, it's a wedding. I'd had a terrible breakup a couple of months before, and I was still feeling quite sad and destructive about it. And I got incredibly drunk. The wedding was in a yurt by the sea in Scotland. It was very beautiful and picturesque. And my drunkness really disrupted the beauty of the (laughs) wedding in in quite an extreme way, I think, looking back on it. And it was like really idyllic. Like there was a, a petting zoo right next to the yurt full of like lovely young goats. It was all lovely basically. And I was so, I think this is a good good way of explaining how drunk I was. I was so drunk that I made out with the best man who was also, I think, the nephew of my friend who was getting married. So he was, he he must have been like 19 or 20 and I was like 22. And I think this is the first time that I'd made out with a cis man since I was maybe 14 because I'd really immersed in my big gay lifestyle. So this is how drunk I was. And eventually my friends were like, hey, I think it's time that we go home. And I was like, hey, I think it might be time that we go home. <laughs> At least you could see it. Yeah, I was like, sure, sure. I think, I think maybe it is time <laughs> to go home. We've had a lovely time in the year. I've been quite loud and disruptive. I think it is time to go home. So then we're driving back and a friend of mine who, for context, looks exactly like George Michael, but with bigger hair. I would say, and oh. longer, a longer earring. So almost like a caricature of George Michael. He was like, hey, I'm going to try and get into that really cool party at the art school. And I was like, you know what? I'm drunk enough to think that that's a great idea, even though it has really tall walls and I'm not sure how we're going to get in. The person I'm really into is going to be there. I saw that she was going on the Facebook event. So yeah, we should try and get in. So we rock up, still very drunk. And the person on the door is someone that I knew so with like all the bravado of someone that's had quite a lot of buckfast I was like hey Shaz like I just think you should let us in like we're the life and soul of this party I really like this Hieronymus Bosch guy I haven't dressed up but I think I'd really improve the dynamic of the space (laughs) and she was like just go in it's fine I'll give you a wristband and we were like this is so cool it's basically impossible to get into this party it's been sold out for months we're so cool so we go in and I find this person that I was really into. I was like, hey, oh, this is a really cool party. Yeah, guess what? Like, I actually just broke into it. Like, it's basically impossible to get into this party, but I just got in, like, because I knew someone on the door and, yeah, just blagged my way in. <laughs> yeah, so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just really cool dude. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I've just spent, like, the entire of the last year organising this party because I'm, like, the president of the art school. And that's really fucked up that you did that. (laughs) (laughs) And I really wish that you hadn't. I was like, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See that. (laughs) So you spent a whole year on it. And she was like, yeah, it's been, you know, like a huge part of my life because as president of the art school, this is the big event that brings us all together. It's how we help fund a lot of the art pieces that the students (laughs) make. So you're actually undermining art itself. And I was like, well, yeah, that is bad. I am a big believer in art. Can I buy you a drink? And she was like, you you may. And then we fell very deeply in love. 
So it worked out quite well, but it did start off with, I think I actually had to buy her quite a few drinks and apologise quite profusely. And then I pulled out my best moves and it was fine, but definitely a rocky start. Very rocky. Wow, these must be some moves because that is not how I thought that story was going to end. I thought that maybe she would have you removed. I'm not really sure how I got away with it. Maybe I was just so drunk that I just managed to phase through it without being too thoroughly embarrassed in that point in time. I was very embarrassed the next day. I remember apologising even more and then continuing to do so for quite a while. But yeah, I mean, my moves can't have been that good because I was, as I say, very drunk. But I'm also not that good a dancer. So I think maybe it was more just endearing commitment to moving past the moment of awkwardness. Yeah. (laughs) She was like, she's stealing from the arts, but she's a trier, bless. (laughs) Yeah, try really, really hard. And I've tried really hard to make up, you know, I've really dedicated myself to the arts in the time since. Mm -hmm. So who can fault me? Well, exactly. You're giving a lot back and I'm sure it 100% stems from that nothing to do with your skills or natural abilities no we're still paying off the debt of that ticket price (laughs) yeah exactly it was expensive though I think it was like 25 quid I wasn't gonna pay that no way I mean for students that is quite a bit yeah it's a lot for students I hope it was good art so a lot of it was very lovely art a lot of very nice sculpture I remember admiring the sculptures but you know I can't fund the whole art world I'm just one small person There you go. There's the takeaway. It's a story I was not expecting and I very much appreciate it. I love that it had a happy ending. Is this the person that you're currently in a relationship with? Actually, no. I mean, that relationship exploded in a a terrible fireball. Tell us us the part two. Let's get the full story. (laughs) No, It it just didn't work out. I mean, I mean, I'm very much like an advocate for where possible remaining friends with your exes and I also can't I can't fault many of my exes they're all like wonderful people and I'm definitely the fuck up much as I'm also a very nice person but yeah I've been with been with my current partner for it'll be four years soon so like quite a long time now and yeah we met through doing drag kinging which I think is quite uh I don't know almost like a ridiculous stereotype of how like queer women and non-binary people could possibly meet each other, but we were drag kinging. That's how we met. Drag romance. Yeah, workroom romance. Cool. And so, shall we talk about gender then? So you you do drag, and generally you have male pronouns when you're doing that. You present with the fake beard and all of that fun stuff, and you predominantly perform in queer feminine spaces, right? Yeah, mostly. I mean, I guess when I'm when I'm doing like my stand up as me, I perform, you know, perform to whoever will have me perform for them, and like just do the circuit. And there are, as you know, many men on the circuit, <laughs> but like a lot of my nights that I run, I guess, are geared towards, well, they're geared towards like inclusive audiences. But I guess the the people that we're platforming. So, yeah, a lot of, like, queer spaces with a lot of, like, gender non-conforming people and queer people and trans people and women and non-binary people. It's all very wholesome and nice. And also, when it comes to drag, like, very raucous and celebratory. 
I just recommend going and seeing live drag to anyone. I think that's the the main like oh, not downfall, but the the one downside of RuPaul's Drag Race getting so big. So I think it's done a lot for making drag more accessible. I think it's like a step in the right direction of showcasing drag to the world, much as it doesn't platform as many different types of drag as I think it should. I think the downside of it is that people can just watch drag from home and they sort of think that's all drag is. But actually live drag is like, oh, mind-blowing. It's so good. It's so important to go and be in the raucous space with people screaming and celebrating each other mm-hmm. I just couldn't recommend it enough really I totally agree I'm getting a bit of that experience particularly with the latest season in that I saw Vanity Milan perform before knowing that she was going to be on Drag Race it was I think it would have already been filmed at that point so it was probably no coincidence she was in a lineup with loads of existing Drag Race queens and so getting to see her perform loving that experience so much and then being delighted that she was on the show it's then really weird watching it through the through the the production that is the show and a lot of people having mixed reactions and I'm like but but I've seen her perform she's she's great at it she's incredibly entertaining like tick you know and says any bit of criticism I'm like no but she's she's already a performer and that's the thing that it's it's ultimately a fascinating insight into the drag world but it's still one perspective of it. And it's still a series of challenges that may or may not relate to what that queen does day to day. Totally. I wish there was more space for like free form live performance, a bit like they have on All Stars sometimes, where mm-hmm. like the, the thing that they do in the first week will just be like whatever live performance they want to give. Because so many of them are like amazing live entertainers and you don't get to see that other than when they're having like the biggest crisis of their professional careers and having to lip sync for their life I don't know if that's the best time to see what someone can showcase in terms of live performance because like I went on tour with Charity Case and she's an amazing live performer and you didn't get to see that that Mm -hmm. much on the show itself at all so yeah Oh, I could talk about Rupert's Drag Race charity. all day. I know. I do love the show. I know it has its things to improve on. I was devastated that Victoria Scone was injured and had to oh, go so I soon. I fully spent the whole season rooting for her to come back. Be like, you know, she's incredible. She was clearly going to make top four. Can we not just like slot her back in? She's surely healed now. Yeah, those other queens <laughs> are so lucky that she went home early because she oh, she would have just won. She's the best. I love Victoria's song. And also, like, so, so eloquent. Everything that she said and the way that she called in Crystal over, like, the way Crystal was talking about bodies was just so, was, like, the perfect example of how to call people in rather than calling people out. Mm. Yeah, I'm just such a fan of her. She's (laughs) such a badass. I love that. And to circle back to your own drag experience, something... I think you've talked about before in terms of relationships and just how you live your life in general is taking a bit of time to feel comfortable with your gender presentation and then drag whilst a super heightened version of gender like exploration and play then became a way to be like oh well if I can be celebrated and accepted at this extreme version of gender then maybe my more middle of the road sort of presentation 
is cool and I can find more ways to accept it. Yeah, I think drive just speeds up the process of gender processing so much. Because for me, like I was, I guess, recruited into my drive troupe because I was already doing comedy and I was doing a lot of like sketch comedy and improv comedy. And I was doing exclusively male or like what would be perceived as male for whatever reason, characters. I was doing high status, loud characters Mm -hmm. and everyone perceived those as male characters. And that's why I got recruited, I guess, because they were like, oh, you can clearly do these kinds of characters. Do you want to come and give it a go? And I'd, I have always been quite, like, masculine presenting and quite comfortable with that and, you know, very happy to be masculine presenting. But I think going into a drag king space mm. and having people, like, actively celebrate masculinity outside of the confines of cis men, because masculinity belongs to everyone, doesn't just belong to cis men. That just sped it up so much because you're right. It's just this like amazingly celebratory space. It's like, oh, right. It is a positive thing. Like masculinity doesn't have to be this bad thing that you have to have shame about. It can be this really positive thing. And also it can be a camp thing. and It can be a fabulous thing. And it can be like whatever you want it to be. You know, masculinity doesn't have to be this like this weird neutral that we're not allowed to talk about or examine in any way. Mm-hmm. I think that's what society wants really I mean the big that's such a weird way of phrasing it society it (laughs) tells us to do it this way but I think part of the reason why I get asked so much like what a drag king is people will be like do you just wear trousers and it's like it's so indicative of the fact that we are so scared of looking at masculinity and realizing that all gender is just a performance it's all just made up you know we don't come out of the womb wanting to wear a certain thing or dress in blue or pink based on like our our sex characteristics and yeah people really fixated on it they really don't want to look look at what masculinity is or accept that it's also a performance and that it's not a neutral you know men and the way that men behave that's all an active decision-making process that is compounded by societal expectation and it's important to just you know drag up and poke fun at it because drag is fun it's Mm -hmm. a fun way of you know when I explain it now it's phenomenally dry and boring (laughs) but when when you can look at it through the lens of someone who's like hot and dancing around and lip-syncing and wearing a beard and has a stupid name that's fun you know everyone can get on board with that and it's sexy. I'm not. It sounds like I'm just talking about me. I don't think that my act is particularly sexy. I think it's <laughs> presumably quite funny. I'd hope, but other drag kings definitely very sexy, and that's why I'm glad it exists. You know, it's important to celebrate masculinity in a utopian way. I love it. It's just the best. Everyone should go. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I think so often this sort of pushing down of the breadth in which gender can exist and can be expressed is so often something that you can draw back to people's insecurities. Because I think when there is such a normalisation of, okay, you have to fit in the girl box or the boy box, then it does take a lot to break out of that and to feel comfortable presenting in a way that that doesn't fit with these very narrow ideals that actually none of us can, can live up to because they are so fake and restrictive and that's been one of the really weird things 
I found through hosting my other podcast, which is about mental health, is that one of the things I've seemingly become a role model to a lot of male listeners. And that's the one thing I never expected, because whilst I don't conform that tightly, like I'm happily male and identify as such, but I just have never taken it too seriously of I need to tick all the male boxes and only present in a narrow way. I kind of feel most comfortable moving in and out of androgyny. And I guess whilst I was comfortable with that, I never assumed that would be relatable. I was like, okay, this is my thing that I'm doing over here. And actually, it's been really strange to basically be in a position where one of the things I'm best known for now is talking about emotions. And somehow that is empowering to other men. And they relate to that. And they I get messages all the time from people saying that I'm a role model to them. And it's still very strange to say out loud, because like me, <laughs> you're going to find a more stereotypical yeah. guy to go for. <laughs> that's gorgeous, though. And that's so important that you're providing that to people. It's really cool. It's fun. Do you enjoy, yeah. you enjoy it now that, you, now that you've been told you're a role model? Can you enjoy the fact that you're giving that to people or does it feel too uncomfortable? It's still strange, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> it's more about believing it. I No, I do enjoy it. I think it's one of those things where I think we can have times in our lives where we may have felt like an outsider and even if like myself, I felt relatively cemented and and content to be an outsider and be like, okay, no, this is genuinely where I belong and I'm going to commit to it as opposed to wanting to be on the inside. There can be power in that, but it's also really exciting to be like, oh, I still do have a lot to offer in a, a broader sense. And that's been the thing that's been more surprising to be like, me, I have something to add to the gender conversation. But I think it's sort of one of these things where as long as you have anything to contribute, as long as you have any perspective on gender, then it's a part of the conversation that needs to be had because we need to do better at, like you say, finding ways to uplift all genders and Mm. not get sucked into a, like, boys versus girls world, which sometimes gets very culture-wary, and I don't think that's the answer. You know, let's hold everyone to account, but let's also find ways for them to still feel free do you know what I mean there has to be a middle yeah I think it's it's really weird when you begin to exist in spaces that are so much about like uplifting marginalized people or like acknowledging what aspects of like binary gender culture are really bad for people because like as as I'm sure you talk about a lot like obviously the conversation around men's mental health is so far behind like it should be so much more normalised and accessible for men to talk about mental health. But it's interesting when you start existing in spaces that are about uplifting marginalised people, the, like, backlash that you start to get about, like, opening up certain conversations and people will be like, oh, but this applies to men as well or this applies to these people as well. It's like, yeah, that's what intersectionality is. Like, it's just listening to each other and it's just acknowledging that you have certain privileges and acknowledging that other people don't and just being able to exist and let things improve for everyone. I don't know why that's so difficult for people to understand because it's just it's just being nice at the end of the day, <laughs> isn't it? It's just not being a prick. That's <laughs> what we were taught as kids, surely. Easy. Yeah. Yeah, well, almost. I feel <laughs> like we tried to learn it. Maybe a small, a 
small overhaul of the school system would probably <laughs> be really <laughs> useful, like remove some of the colonialism and stuff from the history syllabus, I yeah. guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And so exploring gender and that being something that you've come to a place of identifying as non-binary in what's that been like in relationships has that changed as your identity has evolved and has that thrown up any issues it's been I've actually just been so lucky because like I came out as non-binary maybe like a a year and a half into my current relationship and my partner played a really big role in creating space for me to be able to do that. And she just gets she just gets it. She's just amazing. Really, really on it. Listened to me a lot. Did a lot of her own research so that I didn't have to explain things. Because she knew, I think, quite early on. And actually, when we were start like started dating each other, a lot of the ways that she would compliment me were very like affirming of my masculinity I guess which sa- which sounds like she's being like mm, your guns are so big I don't have guns <laughs> I love those guns that you have painted onto yourself but no it was just it was just something that I was aware of almost like not an, a, like a positive elephant in the room I was like this but this person really gets it and I'm not that ready to talk about it yet And I can tell that she knows that I'm not ready to talk about it yet. So she's just going to be like affirming and we'll talk about it eventually. And then we we did talk about it more and more. And it, you know, it does, it did impact my relationship in that, like I have experienced a lot of like gender dysphoria, I guess. So like I experienced dysphoria around like my chest specifically, like I wear a binder now, which is just, like for anyone that doesn't know what that is, it's just like a, a, I guess like a chest suppression vest, and they're like very safe and just like make me feel a lot better about my my body. I guess just makes me feel more like when I look in the mirror, I'm looking at me rather than being like, what the fuck. So yeah, that that was like a a journey I sort of went on over the course of this relationship, and obviously that has like an impact on on sex in a way because you sort of you talk about like boundaries a bit more I guess like there's there needs to be more like dialogue around that stuff but mostly mostly it was just like a really positive thing that happened and it was like an opportunity to really clearly see that someone gets you and accepts you for who you are Mm because I feel like I have friends who like they're in really wonderful relationships, but they maybe don't have the opportunity for their partner to like really obviously come through for them, even though they definitely would if the opportunity arose. But I think because I went through this thing and because I processed so much in quite a short space of time, my partner really got the opportunity to be like the gender superhero, <laughs> I guess, to just like be really supportive and really, really come through. And when I came out publicly... It was actually like at a PEX event. We were doing this huge event at Vault Festival, which for anyone that doesn't know that, it's like a, I guess, almost like an underground arts festival in London in the vaults underneath Waterloo Station. It goes on for a few months in these like giant tunnels. And we threw a massive party down there. And it was inspired by when the Met Gala did camp as their theme. And that was like earlier that year. So we did the 
Hex Gala camp and uh, had all these kings on. Everyone was really camped up. And I don't know what, I don't know why I did it in the end, but I, I was emceeing it as John Travolta, my like drag alter ego. And I was wearing, I was wearing such a ridiculous outfit. It was like all diamonded, like all rhinestoned. <laughs> and it was like a black kilt and a rhinestoned sporran and like high heels and <laughs> like a velvet half cape and a big like pirate silk shirt I just look I looked very fabulous you know and it's not something I ever would have thought when I was younger that I would actively choose to wear I'm very like t-shirt and trousers person and yeah I was emceeing it I think someone had maybe said something at a gig the day before that was just quite I think it was just like a bit transphobic and I'd sort of been mulling over it in my head and I was out to all of my colleagues and my you know, like, people that were close to me by that point. And, yeah, but I, I, like, came out on stage and it was, like, at the spur of the moment and it was just, like, a wall of noise hit me. Like, people were just screaming, shouting, and it was amazing. Like, I didn't, I didn't think it would go down like that, like, at all. And I, like, when I came off stage, like, my partner hadn't heard what had happened, so she was like, what what did you do like I also the next act she was going to do had some sort of like blowjob metaphor in it so she'd been prepping cream somewhere backstage <laughs> uh, before going on as thrust and Linda Snake her dragging and uh, yeah I was like oh I just got I just sort of came out and she was yeah she was amazing she's just like that's that's incredible she put the cream down had a creamless moment and she went and performed <laughs> yeah it's just, I just see it as a really positive thing, really. I love that. I also sort of can't help the visual of that experience, the contrast of your drag character that's so overblown in a brilliant way and has a different accent to you and everything. So did you come out in the voice of the character? Yeah. I I was like, I stayed John Travolta when I came out. I think I was like, oh, I'm... I think I said when I'm not John Travolta... Oh, we were talking about big weeks. I think someone had mentioned big weeks in the previous previous act. I was like, yeah, it's been a, a big week for me because I'd, for the first time ever, I'd sort of mentioned being non-binary in a in a set the day before as a reaction to this transphobic comment. I was like, yeah, it's been a really big week for me when I'm not John Travolta or I'm Jodie Mitchell. And yesterday I came out as non-binary and I was going to continue and say other stuff, but then it just it exploded. But yeah, I was doing it as John, so I was Scottish when I did it. Because John is very much me processing my daddy issues. I have a Catholic Scottish dad called John. <laughs> but I forgot he was called John when I named John Travolver. My sister had to remind me. Very <laughs> embarrassing. But by that point, I'd been, I'd been performing as him for six months and the name was too good to put it to waste. So it is a great still name. John. It's so great to hear that contrast of this silly and incredibly fun character then experiencing this really validating and heartwarming moment with the audience like that yeah it sounds incredible it was weird to break the fourth wall on a drag character but it was very rewarding I'm glad I I'm glad I did it and that was just just before the pandemic I think that was like February 2020 and then the pandemic happened so I had a lot of time to think 
yeah, good timing. So you got to be like, okay, they have plenty of time to process this announcement. I'm going to go home. Exactly. And then I was like, oh, I guess I'll tell some people in my family. Like, so I guess I came out to my queer family before I came out to my biological family. Yeah, but by that point, it was the pandemic. I was cutting my own hair. So I definitely did look like I was having a crisis. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't the look I wanted to have on Zoom when I was trying to be like, this is completely fine and very normal. I just looked unwell. <laughs> but what can you do? I got better at doing my own fades by the end. Nice. Well, there, there we go. Learning, learning backup skills <laughs> in lockdown if you ever need to go be a barber. And so... It sounds like your partner was incredibly supportive. And like I want to give points to you. I was meaning to earlier, but I didn't want to interrupt. I want to give points to both of you because I think you referenced her as a gender superhero. And it kind of sounds like you both were, that you both navigated that in a really great way. And you sort of were working it out as you, you went along, but embraced the ways in which she was trying to help. Because I think there are plenty of people that might have resisted that of somebody that you're with in such a intimate way maybe being a few steps forward in terms of embracing how you would like to present I think some people could have a backlash to that and be like no just give me a chance yeah I mean I've got quite a lot of close friends who have had like the the opposite experience in their relationships which really sucks you know because it's people people get so so think concerned with how other people perceive their identity that when your partner comes out and their gender identity is different to what was advertised when you got together I think people people panic sometimes you know and especially I think if people aren't identifying as queer then having a partner who's like no my jet I'm actually not a cis person and therefore this relationship is queer people really freak out about that and it doesn't have to be that way that's why it's good to talk about these things because you know we're all just people attracted to who we're attracted to we just all need to feel valued and seen in our identities and then we can all crack on with like you know having a nice time which is the point really isn't it yeah no for sure it it would it would be so (laughs) lovely if we could all just think about it in that simple way because I'm like that I'm someone that dates people of all genders and so I'm often confronted with I guess my version of that is people having a lot of questions of like oh but like you must prefer like one over the other and it's like oh there's a whole conversation there about there only not only being two genders you know where do I even begin with that question it's like no that's you're missing the point here you're trying to find a way to really missing the point oversimplify something that it all is ultimately quite straightforward that I could be attracted to somebody of any gender that is as simple as it needs to be because that is the truth and yeah so it's it's so lovely to hear that you've had those positive experiences and I really like your way of stripping a lot of these conversations back and just being like no it can be that simple and I think there's so much power in that because what you're describing there with people reacting badly when they feel like you're not the gender that I signed up to dating. It is this kind of reaction that that you might describe as them feeling tricked somehow. And in fact, the bigger societal trick is surely that how somebody can be like easily viewed and categorized 
is the real trick, that you think that's the whole story, that you see someone walking down the street and you're like, ah, woman, and make yeah. that assumption. And actually, if if that doesn't turn out to be the full story, have they tricked you? Or is gender just more complicated than it would feel convenient, you know, for us to be able to categorise in that way? And it's great to see how these conversations are evolving, but I'm also really excited to see what's next because I think there is a whole level of complication that that people aren't even ready for yet like talking about sexuality I've heard you describe yourself as gay in the past and yet without wanting to speak for you that may not feel like it tells the full story sometimes because your experience isn't just uh, I am the same gender as my partner your experience is is broader than that and there are elements of which you may feel gay and there's elements of which you might identify as queer and use a broader term. Yeah, totally. Oh, love how you phrased that also. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I just love the word gay as well. I'm slightly obsessed with the word gay. I like the way it sounds in the mouth. But I think I like queerness it. is definitely something I identify with the most because it feels very free and it feels very flexible and it feels, yeah, I guess it feels free of expectation. And so there's, like, room for flexibility on presentation without people starting to quiz you as much, I think. If you're like, well, I'm queer, they're like, OK. Yeah, no, I agree. I guess I have a similar version of that where I don't go by any label. I just kind of describe like I did earlier, and generally people can get on board with that. They're like, OK. They, you know, it's more about them thinking there's some sort of additional complication that I'm leaving out. But if they can get on board that, no, this is it, this is the story, then I, I find the same, that it's freeing then because it's like, OK, I don't come with a lot of the labels and expectations that somebody might have. And therefore, it's like, OK, maybe it might take you a little bit longer for some people to get my deal. But if they can, they're not going to then assume I'm like, every other person that has the same label because I don't go by one. And so, yeah, I guess queer can have that that similarity. It's fun. I do enjoy this stuff. It's like sort of, what is it, like gender nerddom that we get to go into all these layers and be like, <laughs> yeah. okay, this is like really fascinating. Let's find like new and ever more complicated situations to like sort of language our way out of. And I think to <laughs> some people that's scary, but I think we are living in a time when we have to just get on board with that. Like, particularly Generation Z coming up now, you know, they're yeah. identifying in such a diverse way. It's like Crystal May's gender edition. <laughs> <laughs> yes, not a Gen Z reference. I love it. And so with that, we will ironically move on to our rules of the game, where we choose something to live by when it comes to relationships that we'd recommend in a world that we've just described as far more fluid than anyone can really <laughs> quantify. So is there something that, that you try and live by in relationships or dating? Yes, there is. I think it's not something I've always lived by. And uh, I'm going to have to try not to just sound too generalised when I talk about this. But I think my main rule, I guess, more widely is listening because I'm a very impulsive person and for someone who believes that the world is very fluid, I, like, form impressions of people very, very quickly. 
And actually, I think one of the things I've learned the most from the relationship I'm in at the moment is that I have the capacity to do that. And I, I think I used to assume that because I believe so much in fluidity uh, that I was very good at viewing the world as fluid. And actually, I think I'm quite bad at it. I have to hold myself quite accountable. So like my my partner identifies as a, a cis woman. She's very femme. She sort of looks like someone crossed George Michael and Marilyn Monroe, I guess, <laughs> but more on the Marilyn Monroe end of the spectrum. And obviously we do drag a lot together. And so, like, I've experienced her own, like, fluid relationship with gender. And I don't just mean fluidity in terms of gender either. But I think when I first met her, I was like, this is a person who's very, like, stereotypically femme and, like, likes pretty things and her life will be contextualised by that to a certain extent. And actually, she's basically a camp man in a woman's body. It's like her own description of herself. And (laughs) like one of the most fluid people that I've met who identifies as a cis person. And all of the things that I'd assumed about her were like completely wrong. And so I think my main rule that I try and stick to now is to just not, not assume and not just in terms of gender, just like in terms of everything, just to try try to like listen and learn more about people before I start putting them in a box, whether the box is that they're like fucking messy or something complicated to do with gender. <laughs> I try not to put people in boxes anymore unless they're just an asshole. I will still put people in an asshole box quite <laughs> That box remains. <laughs> yeah, that box remains. It's quite solid and it's quite full and I might need a second box. But yeah. I think that's that's the one. Mm. But do you have to generate new rules for yourself to follow every time you do this podcast? Yes, or which is why this? I don't take them too seriously because I would be <laughs> so tied up in rules by now. But one that I guess links to that a little bit and that it's something I, I still have to work on and I think that will, will be a forever project is finding ways to really, I, I guess like your partner did, support the gender presentation of whoever I'm with. And I think in some ways that's particularly important for me because it's weird to say, because I don't, I I wouldn't say I'm gender fluid, but I just uh, don't buy into the stereotypes to the extent where I'm quite happy to be doing various different parts of gender, irrespective of where people would associate them with. So it's not so much that I'm moving anywhere. I'm just doing a lot of the gender stereotypes as opposed to being like, this is my section in the mailbox and I just stick to these. And so sometimes I've found in relationships that can be a little bit tricky for somebody to get used to because they feel like, oh, what's the bit that I own? And so I tend to find that I'm most attracted to, possibly not by coincidence, people that really commit to their gender identity and feel like loud about it because I'm like, okay, I can relate to that. That's cool. That's fun. And we can we can have that in common. And so, yeah, it's it's been something I'm still working on, of finding ways to encourage and be like, no, absolutely. Like, I will be the one that is perhaps a like, the one that likes being in charge of the bills and the finances on the male stereotype side. But I'm also generally the one that does most of the cleaning on the like female stereotype side. And that is no way a threat to you. And absolutely do either or tell me that you'd rather manage the bills. And I'll be like, sure. 
as as long as you do, you don't put us on a super expensive tariff for something. But you know, <laughs> with with limitations, yeah, I, I think it's it's something we can all work on to be like, okay, how can we encourage this person? And I think your partner's way of utilizing gender and compliments is a really fun way of doing that. Yeah, she's very good at it. Mm. I think it's it's good to find like inspiration from I don't know what what you were just talking about right now like I think that one of the best examples I've seen of like non-gender stereotype ways of behaving in relationships is actually from like a very like stereotypical heterosexual older couple in my life my aunt and uncle they've been married for ages they're very like, you know, my uncle is like very masculine, he used to be in the army. He does all of the cooking and cleaning because the army taught him how to do it. Does all of the sewing. He's a very good chef. He knows how to darn. He knows how to iron really well. So he just does he just does all of that. And my aunt provides the action movies. And it's just glorious. I don't know, the world can be a good place and a nice place if you go looking for it, in amongst all of the crap stuff. Yeah. I'm trying to find more joy. It's one of the things I've tried to do from my pit of despair in the pandemic, gone seeking the joy. And it's been fruitful for the most part, which is good. Good, good to hear. I wasn't expecting this to be as uplifting as it has been. Thank you. Oh, good. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's, it's been a really lovely conversation. And I agree, it's so heartwarming to see when people are together in that way that feels very lived in and mutually supportive and gives me such hope for relationships as a single person I'm like okay maybe 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 there's some cool relationships out there that I could be in so uh, (laughs) yeah thank you for that anecdote and thank you for being a guest if people want to follow more of your work I mean you've you've said several times about going to a drag show so I think the listeners need to go see you sometime where would they where would they find yeah. you or where would they find John? Well, you can find John by following me. I'm at Jody Mitch etc. on Instagram and I'm at Jody Mitchell underscore on Twitter. And you can follow Pex, which is my drag king troop, at Pex Drag Kings across all social media. And you can follow the LOL Word, which is my queer all women and non-binary comedy night at lol word comedy all over the place so you can come to all of those things and it will be probably less wholesome than this chat has been and like quite a bit more loud and possibly less nuanced but that depends on the night <laughs> fun all right well thank you so much it's been a joy talking to you oh it's been much talking to you too Thanks for listening. You can support the show, get ad-free episodes and bonus content by joining our new subscription on Apple Podcasts. This replaces our Patreon and it's slightly cheaper. Our show is edited and produced by Pete Murta. With music by the brilliant Tessa Violet. Speak to you next Friday. Until then, good Good luck luck out there. there.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.